0: Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina.
1: Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and continuing our mental health week here on the show, we are talking about children and young people and teenagers. Dr. Yamalis Diaz is here. She is a professor and also host on Mental Health Radio here on Sirius XM. But also, focus is on young people children college students and ADHD and I just want to thank you for that work because I feel like we've been focused on adults all week and how adults grown-ups are struggling with mental health and I can't help but imagine that children and young people also dealing with those same issues in this pandemic years.
0: Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. Um, You you nailed it on the head. I think if if we know the adults are struggling, we can be certain that the kids are uh, perhaps even more so, sometimes less so. So that's good news. But um, yes, I'm really glad that we're talking about this.
1: What are some of the things that have manifested? I mean, how has the pandemic and just the last few years manifested in the behavior and mental health challenges kids are experiencing right now?
0: Yeah, you know, and in, in really in so many ways, but I think if we start sort of at the top, if you just think about the way that um, humans really, but children in particular, really anything that is challenging, stressful, even something that's exciting but new, sets off our fight-flight reaction. It sets off our, our anxiety um, because it's our brain's way of alerting us that there might be a threat or a situation that we need to adapt to very quickly. And so our brain does us that favor of saying, hey you're in danger. Let's get you ready to, to activate. Let's get you ready to fight or get away from this threat. And what that means is that for children in particular, pretty much everything that has been going on has been a consistent activation of that sort of threat response. The pandemic, the school closures that were occurring, now falling behind in school, not seeing friends. Um, and of course, uh, we know that as things have continued to shift uh, community-wide, just with really so many different pressures going on around children Um, they have just been in a sort of continuous anxious state if you will and so what we're seeing is a real rise of anxiety depressed mood and dysregulated behavior which could sort of manifest in the form of tantrums and um, more meltdowns and more aggression really could be anything but what we know is that kids are definitely struggling they do adjust a little quicker at times than adults do um, they can be more resilient in that way but not always um, so that is what we're really contending with right now
1: does the fact that younger people their brains are still developing does that impact how they're affected by these types of stress stressors
0: yeah i think in some ways that's the reason that they're more susceptible and more resilient so here's mm. what i mean by that right on the one hand they just do not have, like, think about your ability to regulate emotions, deal with heavy things. Think about it like carrying weights, like like weights that you would carry at the gym. You know, a child's brain is really not wired and not ready, does not have the muscles that it needs to carry super heavy weight. And all the things that have been happening with the pandemic, social justice movements, community um, concerns, lack of access to mental health care. I mean, you name it, everything that's happening at schools, the rise of school shootings. I mean, again, I could make the list lengthy if I wanted to. But if you think about all the things that kids are navigating on a day to day basis or even just being exposed to or hearing about, essentially those muscles are constantly being taxed. Whereas adults have more muscles at, at least. This is why I say that in some ways they are more susceptible. They're just not quite ready. And then on the other hand, the reason they might be more resilient is because they have development on their side and the brain is continuing to wire. Those emotions are continuing to wire. And so they have a little bit of time to kind of recalibrate, uh, whereas adults might have a little more of that resilience, that bounce back. Um, so, so kids again, can be more susceptible and and at times more resilient, depending on what we're talking about.
1: One of the things I've thought a lot about as well is, um, you know, the socialization piece of it, because I think, you know, in a lot of ways, I was talking earlier in the show about how I'm a different person now than I was at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, I sort of say that as a good thing, because while I have definitely been in fight or flight brain, I mean, in my own personal life, I was in flight or flight a little bit longer. Um, because my mom um, was sick since 2018. So I was in sort of that brain when the pandemic happened. Um, But I also think the pandemic had a profound effect on my level of empathy, just because of the amount of loss we've we've all experienced in the pandemic um, with so many people getting sick and so many people losing their parents and so many people losing their caregivers, um, the people that raised them, grandparents. Um, There's like a phenomenon of pandemic orphans. And I just feel like, that had a profound f- impact on me. How are the kids processing that piece of it? Because I understand sort of the the fight or flight brain as it re- as it results um, as a result of sort of the dramatic shift that we all sort of had to undergo at the beginning of the pandemic. But I feel like the anxiety directly tied to you know the life and death stakes. I feel like a mm. younger person is gonna process that a lot differently than someone who's older and may you know because you sort of have think you're invincible at that age and I think learning at like 15 that oh there's this disease out there that is that is killing people that's really really different that's airborne that's killing people that's really really different to understand it at 15 versus 40.
0: Yeah and and you know even the 15 year olds I'll give them a little more uh, they're, they're probably doing a little better than You know think about the six seven and eight year olds who really Mm. can't wrap their minds around some of what's happening but your question is such a good one um it's really about you know sort of figuring out how are they wrapping their minds around everything that's happening and how do they continue to process not only the the new sort of challenge right like something like an airborne um virus that is literally killing people that that is that was scary for everybody so For kids, the hardest part, right, is that they don't have the lived experience to fill in the blanks. And so they will fill in the blanks with whatever information they have or imagine. And unfortunately, one of the things that will, you know, sort of determine um, or at least help determine, not all the way, but one of the things that will help determine how kids and young people adjust is what they've heard, what they've been told Who's been talking to them? Who's been filling in those blanks? Um, And I find that oftentimes adults um, hesitate to talk too much about scary things to kids for fear that they're going to make them more scared. Um, And so they try to just kind of say everything's going to be fine. They try to hurry up and move past that topic. And sometimes that conversation is exactly what children need to fill in the blanks, or at least fill in the blanks in a way we would want them to, right? Give them information. We want them to wrap their minds around, as opposed to leaving those blanks blank. Um, and and oftentimes, the things they imagine can be worse than what's actually happening. So what are, so it really comes oh, down to what, what kind of conversations people are having with these with kids.
1: So what kind of conversations should people be having? I mean, I understand it's, it's probably difficult, and adults sometimes don't, know if they have all of the words or all of the answers for kids who are asking really tough questions in a moment like this one. But I feel like I'm big on the like, even if the conversation is a little messy and I don't have all the answers, I want to have it because I feel like that is progress, right? Absolutely. Um, So so what, what could this conversation sound like potentially?
0: Well, I think one of the things you just highlighted, right, um, which is that you you actually don't have to know everything. In fact, you probably don't. I don't know anybody who knows everything or who can answer all of kids' questions in the the most perfect way. But I think you're exactly right. Having a conversation, some conversations for um, a couple of things. The first thing it should sound like is it should sound open-ended. And what I mean by that is we should be asking the kids, what are you wondering about what are you worrying about can you tell me what's been on your mind I like to start these conversations with a couple of you know I call them like baiting statements where it's Mm. like you're throwing your little fishing line in the water and you're just seeing if the kids or the young people will nibble Um, a lot of times people want to start these conversations with direct questions hey have you been worrying about what's going on with everything and by the way fine if that's how you start it it's better than nothing. But usually what's a little better to get them to open up instead of close up is to just throw in a couple of open-ended statements, observations, for example. Hey, you know what? I, I've noticed that you've been watching the news a lot. Um, and, and every time you watch the news, you seem like a, little, like a little worried. What do you think you've been worrying about? Or what, what have you been hearing about on the news, for example? So I threw in first the little statement that you seem worried. And then I ask a question about that specific thing. Sometimes I'll leave it completely open by saying, you know, I can tell that something's on your mind and I really, really want us to talk about what's going on and what's bothering you. When you're ready, I'd really like to talk about that, okay? And then you're just kind of leaving it right there and giving them a little moment to come on back to you to talk about something that's a little more challenging. But either way, you start the conversation and then you might get a little more direct as the conversation goes on by saying very clear things about what you think um, they might be worrying about or things that you think they should know or answering the questions that they do have, right? Because when you give kids space for questions, they often will start asking, and that will tell you. Their their questions are often a really good tell about what it is that they've been wondering or worrying about, and that's where you can fill in some of those gaps for them.
1: I like the baiting statements. That's so great. I'm going to use that on some adults too. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, they work on adults as well. You know, you just put them in the water and see, gonna, yeah. and see if they nibble.
1: I love that so much. Um, one of the other things I think a lot about is as an adult, one of the things that I have, um, through personal development, uh, study is try to implement routines and systems in my life that, you know, keep me in a positive head space or keep me healthy. You know, there's, there's so many different things that we do as adults and in, in our routines, um, to help mm-hmm. us navigate, you know, a difficult moment. What are some of the routines parents can instill in their kids when they're young so that they can deal with stress? I mean, this is a good moment to sort of teach that lesson because we're in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, this is actually a great time for everybody to be thinking about what they can be doing very proactively to prevent some of the anxiety, depressed mood, you know, sort of behavioral dysregulation to sort of go too far. And also once it's already happening, how to recalibrate and kind of reset yourself in a way that makes you feel more stable and, and kind of uh, on more um, grounded footing. But um, so I'm glad that you mentioned routines because just to tie this back to the fight or flight system, if we know that our fight flight reaction, our anxiety or, you know, sort of threat state, activates when something is completely new, um, threatening, unfamiliar, just, we just don't know what's going on kind of moment, then it makes sense that the brain craves stability and routine. Mm. So the minute that you start to feel really sort of out of sorts, and a lot of times we can tell that that's happening because our routines are not being completed. You might not even know that you have a routine that keeps you pretty centered. And then all of a sudden you might start noticing, gosh, my apartment is getting really messy. Um, I noticed I haven't been returning emails as quickly. So this is sort of in the adult space, right? They can notice that things are starting to fall apart and their routines are not being followed. So similarly, and once you have your routine back in place, you feel a little restabilized. Similarly for kids, when their day follows a little rhythm, they tend to feel more stable, more calm, more centered. When we change the rhythm on them, or the the day just has no real no real rhythm and it's just kind of just goes by the, you know, seat of your pants kind of thing. What happens is they start to feel a little more destabilized. If they're already pretty prone to anxiety, then they're probably going to start having a little bit of trouble pretty quickly. So I am a big fan of three major routines, morning routine that gets them ready for school, which is obviously going to carry on literally for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Having a good morning routine is a good, um, it's just a good idea to set them off at school with the temperature low, everybody kind of feeling a little more relaxed than what would happen if you didn't have a routine. It's families. There's always going to be some hullabaloo going on in the (laughs) mornings, but if you have a little bit of a routine, it does make it so much better. Um, after school routines, which include the homework, because homework struggles can be a real, you know, sort of challenge for different kids and, and young people. Um, and then bedtime routines that clean up how, whether what, what we call sleep hygiene, right? What they're doing right before bed that gets their brain ready for sleep, and then how much sleep they're actually getting, because that has so many implications for mood, well being, all the things, right? We know sleep is very big. So if, parents could start by making sure that those three routines are in place. And if you don't currently have those routines in place, start with one and just make sure that it's clear when it's supposed to start, when it's supposed to end, right? So that there's a beginning and an end point. That's very important for kids in particular. And what are the steps in between? And it doesn't have to be too detailed. It just has to have a flow or a rhythm that kids sort of start to get on an automatic uh, kind of flow so that they know how their day should go. And then when you really want to get fancy, you can then begin also adding just a little bit of structure to your weekend days as well.
1: I like because that even a even though they're
0: open-ended, they're important, right? Yes. Oh, I
1: love structure. I feel like um, one of the things that I sometimes have to do is like force myself not to follow a schedule on a day off. (laughs) Like, no, I I just need just relax, just sit (laughs) and relax. Stop following a schedule. It's Saturday. (laughs) You know, and that can um, be
0: just as important. for. I know. (laughs) It's true.
1: But I but I do I, I cosign everything you're saying about having routines, especially a morning routine. You know, I joke often on this morning show that I was asked to host this time slot i am not a morning person i would not have volunteered to host a show at 7 a.m but because i you know have learned to really like the mornings um i love our callers i love the the community we have built here on mornings with zerlina and so i have a morning routine and i'm grateful for this time slot because it gets me up it gets me moving it gets me in my routine and my headspace but i have a, a routine from the moment i wake up to the moment i go on air that is the same every single day. <laughs> it's the same thing. And it, you know, it starts with like oil pooling and affirmations, you know, like it's a whole thing. So mm-hmm. it's, it's important to sort of have that because no matter what's happening in the news, which is not the first thing I look at, um, I I know that I I can rely upon sort of the same order of things happening. And that does definitely de-stress you from the jump, like immediately from the beginning of the day, no matter what's happening in the news, I'm sort of in a good headspace because I've started out with a nice, solid morning routine. So I have to second everything that you just said about that. It's so important. Um, My next question is actually about social media because I think that, I mean, adults have issues, obviously, um, with the habit of comparison because, you know, we're seeing what's happening on social media Talked a lot about on the show how at the end of 2021 I deleted Instagram from all of my devices. I have not mm. been back on Instagram. I did not delete the account permanently, but so the account exists, but I don't use it. I don't. I don't like Instagram. It makes me sad. I noticed mm-hmm. that my mood immediately changes when I am scrolling on Instagram, specifically, not even TikTok, but Instagram. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna delete that. Um, and I realized that I am 40, and if I am having those feelings, then Everyone younger than me is probably having those same challenges. How does social media exacerbate some of the existing insecurities that young people have? And also this sort of idea that, you know, you have to live up to this like false filtered and curated image that people are putting out there, you know, that basically is like perfect. And it's so frustrating to, to think about young people thinking that they have to live up to that.
0: Oh, gosh, I, we could do an entire day <laughs> yeah, of programming around the <laughs> the perils of social media. And you really, the, the question that you're asking is right down the center of, of one of the biggest things we worry about for young people and anyone who goes on social media and does what their brain is naturally um, prone to do, which is to compare yourself to other people. Now, initially, we do this literally for survival. You have to know how to adapt to your environment quickly in order to kind of go with the flow and be able to survive in that environment. So it is a natural sort of biological instinct for us to look around us and quickly adjust. Unfortunately, that has now gone way too far. And where social media comes in is that not only does it give it uh, does it give us a lot of things and a lot of people to compare ourselves to but it gives us a lot of shiny images a lot of curated perfected uh, perfection types of images that um, get us to compare ourselves to other people. Now, that's going to be true for adults, and sometimes, sure, you could have feelings of sadness and anxiety, like, "Wow, that person got that promotion." You know, I'm I'm stuck in in this job that I, I really didn't, you know, don't love. All of a sudden, you're having all of these thoughts. You didn't mean to be having those thoughts because you saw that somebody on Instagram got a got a promotion. It's not intentional, but it is somewhat automatic. Um, and so, some people are more susceptible to that, for sure. So you can imagine for kids and teens whose sense of self is not yet developed, right? At least adults have some sense of self that has come online and that they've been carrying around, whether they love that sense of self or not, or whether it's as healthy as it could be is its own battle, but at least it's somewhat intact. You have something you're working off of. Whereas for kids and teens, it is becoming, it is evolving in a much more profound way. So the constant social comparison, the constant images of perfection, the constant need for reassurance and affirmation that comes from the outside world mm. in the form of likes, retweets, reposts, I mean, you know, engagement, all of those engagement stats that, that, um, that they look at, right? All of that becomes what fills in your lack of sense of self, like without the likes, do you like the picture you just posted mm. without the retweets? Are you, do you think what you said was smart or or interesting or funny? Do you yourself feel those things or do you need to have that reassurance coming in? And for kids and teens, the, it's the latter. They 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 really need the external validation in order to feel like everything they're doing and saying has merit or worth. And that means automatically that if you're not getting it, your sense of self is going to be very shaky. So that is the that those are the conditions under which our kids and teens and young people are developing their sense of self is in the context of all of this social comparison, where you're never ever ever going to be the same or better than other people because you have too many people that you're comparing yourself to. It's I mean, and, and some of the people impossible. on Instagram
1: are. Are not even people, I mean one of the things that I yeah. realized um, last year before before I just quit um, was the computer generated faces, and I was mm-hmm. like literally i mean obviously it 's filtered, there are so many filters people are using um, that change the way that they look that basically look like you know you can there are filters that basically make you look like you had all of the Botox, all of the plastic surgery that you um, could ever get to make your face perfect. And then people think that that's how people look, you know, you don't have a pore, um, you have perfect lighting. And so you don't, you, you look like you have glass skin all the time. Like nobody, people have pores, people have textured skin. Like, you know, like we're, all of our skin is not made of glass. That is silly. I don't understand why that became a thing, but that's like a whole tangent for another completely different day. Um, (laughs) one of the, one of the other, um, Things I wanted to ask you about um, in the last few minutes here is should do you think parents should like limit or restrict or at least monitor the amount their young people are using social media? Because I feel like it's actually dangerous like to to allow kids to sort of sit in that, you know, comparison mindset, particularly with all of these other things going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All three of the words you just said, limit, restrict and monitor. All of those things should be happening Um, and we should be talking and engaging with our kids about what it is they're seeing, what they're reading about, who's doing what. We need more conversation with kids because oftentimes what happens is they are navigating all of this independently. And we can all as adults remember things that we did not discuss with our parents, couldn't have gone to our parents about, and definitely you know, wouldn't have felt comfortable talking to them about. And it was really mostly if parents weren't a consistent presence of conversation. But the more you have conversation, the more you let them know the potential things that they could be seeing and, and having these these natural conversations, you don't have to have too many forced conversations, but just kind of like, Hey, you know, you got to be careful what you see on social media. Not everything is real. And then maybe you sit next to them sometimes and you can see what they're seeing and you can comment on what you just saw and engage in a conversation about, you know, I just want you to notice that this picture has a lot of filters. You do know that this yeah. isn't what people look like, right? My love. I mean, cause I wouldn't want you to think this is what you need to look like. This is an impossible thing. And, and now maybe you're talking to a, teenager who has been questioning what they look like and their appearance, et etc. And maybe will engage with you around some of those anxieties or worries. And that allows you to stay um, knowledgeable and monitor whether these thoughts are getting too far off course. A little bit of social comparison is fine. A little bit of motivating social comparison is fine as well. But if you're hearing things like, I just don't think I'll ever be I, I don't understand why I can't be. You're going to start hearing some of those potential statements that let you know that this teen or this young person is doing probably too much social comparison and they're on a slippery slope. And we can then be in a position to help them navigate that. So absolutely limit it, absolutely restrict different types of access depending on the child's um, age um, and definitely monitor what they're, who they're interacting with, what they're seeing, what they're posting is a big one um, that sometimes we don't pay too careful attention to and then come to find out they've posted something that is absolutely unacceptable or can get them in a lot of trouble. Um, So I encourage parents to do all three of those. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much for this conversation, Dr. Yamales Diaz from NYU. I am so grateful um to to you and the work that you do um i I encourage people to tune in to mental health radio um because these conversations i mean we're doing mental health week here but you focus all on mental health all the time and i think that in this particular moment if anybody took away anything from this week is that you are not the only one that is struggling your child is not the only one that is struggling we are all going through this And we need these tools to be able to navigate this in a healthy way. Dr. Diaz, thank you so much for being here this morning. It's been so great to talk to you.
0: Thank you. And thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.